0: Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the West Side Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in we will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. All right, John, thank you so much for joining the West Side Investors Network podcast today. I'm excited to talk to our first international investor on our show. <laughs>
2: Thanks, friend. It's an honor to be on. And good day from Australia.
1: <laughs> John's calling in bright and early from Australia. It's the afternoon here in Oregon. Today, we're going to talk about John's investing career, as well as the first deal that got him started. He's been doing yeah. it for 25 years now. John, before I talk too much, do you want to just introduce yourself and let people know? I know you're in Australia, yeah. uh, but what are you doing now in terms of real estate and your job?
2: Thanks, Trent. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Trent. Thanks. And thanks to all your listeners and for the work you do in building, I think, confidence in the American and global property ecosystem. So John Fung is my name. I'm an Aussie, though I spent the last 17 years, half in Europe and half in the US. So I have a lot of experience globally. Most of that time was with Google, was 13 years at Google, two years at Uber, two years at McKinsey, and I did a grad degree at Stanford. So I'm very Americanized, and American technology is very much my background. Even though I've been real estate investing for the last 25 years, I really only worked full-time in real estate the last two years. And I'm the chief revenue officer of an amazing company called Domain Group here in Australasia. We are one of the biggest portals in Australasia, similar to the multiple listing service, except it's a charge that the seller, the vendor pays for. We also write a variety a range of, uh, of SaaS products, like a DocuSign style product, like a one called Price Finder, which provides information on every home in Australia and many in New Zealand. So that's what I do full-time nowadays. I'm still a big investor on the side, but property is my life, I will say.
1: And I love how you went from the W2 career with real estate on the side to now a real estate career with real estate <laughs> as a main focus. That was pretty cool. So you obviously spent time in the United States, like you said, and then you moved to Europe. When you were in the United States, is that when you got started real estate investing?
2: Actually, no, it was, it was when I started college here in Australia. And maybe if I can talk about my first deal. Mm-hmm. That works Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, please do. So, you know, pretty much, you know, in college in Australia, most people don't live at college. You live at home and you take the train in, which is a lot less fun having done grad school in the States. The States do much better, but it has one clear advantage, which is you can save a lot of money over are at college. And so I was living at home in college. I was 18. I was just starting off my career and I was on a scholarship. So even after the fees are paid for, I was getting, you know, six, seven grand and, you know, post tax uh, that I could use. And I was going to spend it on traveling and partying and things like that. My granny sat me down and said, no, 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 you are going to buy your first house. So, okay, sure. All right, let's try this. And so I went around looking at a bunch of properties and end up buying something, just a small studio apartment near the Sydney universities. It's about forty thousand dollars US. It's pretty cheap, but you don't need that much. You need like a five ten thousand dollars down payment, and even my income of six or seven thousand dollars was enough cash flow to get a loan on that. So that was my first start at the age of eighteen, and it was cash flow positive from day one. Easily made much more money than I was spending in interest payments.
1: And we'll get into the overall career, but I love how you at eighteen took some pretty real world advice. From your grandmother and, and right. listen to it and listen to it and got your start that way. So from there, did you keep investing in Australia?
2: Yeah, I did. So you know, I lived in Australia for the next seven years or so. I finished right, you know, four years at college, and then my first jobs were here in Australia. And if you know, if stage one in my investing career was like, get your first place and just get it however you can and make it a good investment and make it cash flow positive. The next five or six years was about parlaying that, particularly as I graduated from college and started to earn a, a serious income, into just getting a lot of cash flow properties. So Sydney and Melbourne are very expensive here in Australia and even were there you know, 20, 25 years ago. But if you go outside the other capital cities, places like Perth and Adelaide and big places like Cairns, which is where the Great Barrier Reef is, you can get very, very high quality properties for about seventy or 80,000 US dollars. These are like three bedroom, two bathroom, family homes within 15, 20 minutes of the CBD. Now, these are not... Giant. And this is not Portland, Oregon or San Francisco. This is, you know, half a million to a million people live here. So these are, are good places where people want to live, and people might not be ready to buy. They might want to rent. And so that was me and my, my dad's game. This is back before the internet was widespread. We'd just look at all the magazines, and we'd look for basically high growth suburbs within fifteen minutes of the CBD in major capitals and metropolitan areas outside of Sydney and Melbourne. You know, about that price point, seventy eighty thousand dollars. Within a few years, we bought four or five of them just with the income. That I was earning plus the income that was coming from the properties we've gotten, because most of these were cash flow positive. You know, that is a lot of the the benefit of investing relatively cheaply in a relatively low tax environment. So, you know, I went from having one property, a small studio apartment, to then having four or five properties, you know, by the time I was in my mid-20s and two or three years of my first job.
1: Let's talk about that for a second. Obviously, we're focusing on single family houses during this time, getting your portfolio built. Were you taking any money from, you know, the first couple as actual Profit for yourself, or were you rolling everything back into the business to get it, you know, grow it more and more and more?
2: So I did a bit of profit taking. And that's actually something that as time went on, I did a lot less of because I realized actually the transaction cost is high, obviously, in terms of tax and time and things like that. And also it's not clear that capital gains would slow down. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't, but I found it a crapshoot. So I did a bit of that. I remember I bought a place in Darwin, which is at the very far north of Australia. We bought it for about 150000 Australian dollars, went up to 150000 US dollars, went up to $200,000. Like, oh my goodness, great. Let's take the profit and run. But that thing doubled, tripled over the next kind of five or 10 years, right? So it's very, very hard if you buy premium properties. There's, it's generally not great to sell unless you really need the money. So what we end up doing and getting very good at is refinancing. You buy a property, it capital gains grows, the rentals grow as well. Therefore, you can actually use it to borrow more money. And that's what we did over the course of that time. It helped because we we're in a in a relatively low capital cost, low tax environment. So
1: after this point, you're riding the appreciation train in Australia. That's right. You come to the United States for, or you know, you come to the United States. How did you get started investing over here, or were you still investing in Australia when you lived here?
2: Yeah, I was still investing a good amount in Australia when I lived here. Again, partly that thesis was don't transact unless we have to. And mm-hmm. so I sell off two properties to pay for grad school. Uh, they'd already made really good capital gains by then, so that was very, very fortunate. But ideally, I wasn't touching. I was just riding that train, riding that cash flow positive capital gains train. I did dabble a bit in commercial property as I got to the US because you know when I went to grad school, you know many of your listeners are MBAs and finance degrees, and you know similar to yourself. And real estate investing is a massive thing in the US, obviously, and it's not like Australia where it's relatively niche. When I go to the you know Stanford, an amazing business school. One of the most popular clubs is real estate investing. And generally, real estate investing was seen as the most high-paying job with the least work, right? That was the trade-off. You could get a lot of money if you went for private equity or venture capital, but you work like a job. Or you get like a nice corporate job where you work you know, 50, 60 hours and get paid a good salary, depending on how you're management. But real estate was that only thing where you get explosive growth, right? Particularly as you take capital above a certain upside on what you develop, but very lifestyle. And so a lot of my really good friends, you know, I'm very close to today still, that was their profession and they got into the world. I mean, their families have been investing in syndicates and hotels and things like that. So just partly to stay connected after business school, we did a lot of that investing together. I quickly found that wasn't really my thing. You know, I enjoyed learning about it. And even my job today, we have a very large copy commercial property portfolio and and what we do. But actually that game of residential real estate, of helping people find a home to live in, of that capital gains of house hacking, which we can talk to as well, and that's what I really enjoyed the most. And so eventually I did a bit of that commercial investing. But soon after I met an American girl and got married in California, uh went back to the focus on residential property.
1: So you basically just moved your strategy. I mean, you tried other strategies, but you took your first strategy, your first investment vehicle and rolled it over to the United States, right?
2: Yeah. But basically, I'll say the one difference is you know, when we got married almost 10 years ago, the first thing which I'd never done is actually buy a property to live in. I'd always been living in shares or rentals or things like that. That switches the strategy a little because in both America and Australia, there are significant capital gains advantages for living in your own house and using that as investment. And so for us, that became the game. We, you know, she has a very similar background. Her mom was a real estate agent. My dad used to be a real estate agent. So we come from a tradition of property investing and just being passionate about property. But, you know, once we got together, we kind of kept our passive investments, then parlayed all of that into, or parlayed as much as we could into getting a really great home for what became a family that grew. So that was our next stage of let's get the family home that's right for our needs let's use that as an investment. Let's be smart about taxation in order to make the most of those gains. And that's been our focus for the last few years.
1: So when you're going through buying the primary residence and eventually turning it into an investment property or selling it and taking advantages of the capital gains tax benefits with that, what are you looking for when you're buying these houses?
2: I think the, the test I'm always looking for, well, actually, let me take a step back. I tend to see two different objectives when you're investing in a primary residence. The first, and I'd say the most important one is, what do you personally need? Do you need, as we do now, like an extra place for grandparents to live? You know, do you care about a backyard? Do you care about proximity? These are things which are almost investment agnostic. You're trying to solve for those things. What matters to you based on what your family needs are? And totally separately, you're trying to make a bunch of investment decisions. And those two investment decisions are, where is this likely to have sustainable long-term capital gains because it is a premium or good property in an area or a locale that is relatively scarce? But also, where are you likely to get dependable, reliable tenants that you can count on in tough times, right? And again, I'm not someone who maximizes rent. I'd much rather take 5 or 10% less rent for a great tenant. But what I don't want is a property that's empty. Right. And so you're trying to balance all of those things depending on how much cash you have and things like that. And so for us, what made most sense for our first family home was not to go as big as possible. We had no kids back then. We just got married. So we looked for a place. It ended up being four bedroom or actually three bedroom and a study and two bathroom. It was a place that was, I'd say, cheap enough that actually we could afford to get a bigger house if we were fortunate enough to have kids in the future. It was cheap enough where actually there was a hope of relative cash flow positivity. And what I mean by that is the more expensive the house, particularly in place like California, there is no way that the thing is cash flow positive. You might pay three or four million dollars for a house. You're gonna be losing a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, if you've, got, if you've got 20% down, right? So the cheaper the house, and we end up buying, you know, a much less of that price point, much below our means in this case, because it meant that it would give us the opportunity to use that as a tax efficient investment property, not have there's a big grade on cash flow and still give us the room to buy a bigger house in the future and keep this one. So that was very much our intention going into it. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working
0: with a virtual assistant through off-site professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com.
1: Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, Coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to UptownSyndication.com today to learn more. I'm glad you mentioned that about the purchase price, especially knowing this was in California. My first thought was, how are they going to get it to positively cash flow unless they're putting 50, 60 percent down when they're buying it? So that makes a lot of sense, and that was going to be one of my next questions. So from there. How many times did you reuse this or recycle this idea?
2: So I guess twice, right? So we were in California, we had our first home. And then when we were fortunate enough to get pregnant with our first child, then said, okay, let's try and look for a house, right? This is like a four or five bedroom house, one that's you know, really wanted to be, and one which if it became an investment property, then it would really be actually somewhat negative. But then we're trying to really solve for lifestyle over investment property. and So we were, we're lucky to do that a few years after we got the first house. And then the final change really came when we moved back to Australia. And this is about a year and a half, two years ago. And in Australia, there are very favorable capital gains for properties. So actually, as long as you live in your primary residence for a period of time, even if you sell it up to six years afterwards, as long as you are based in Australia, you'll pay no capital gains, like none. That is a huge incentive actually to put as much as possible because all of that is capital gains free. You still pay transactions. We have a land tax thing called stamp duty here. So the transaction hurts, but once you're in, it's an amazing asset. And that's why America, everyone loves property. Australia, property is the, the national pastime. Uh, we spend more on capital on property, more time, more effort, more attention here than any other nation in the world. I think it's amazing. And so when we moved back, and is a few years afterwards, and now a few years ago, you know, it was like, okay, Well, it makes sense to put all our eggs in an Australian basket. By that time, we have three young girls. We're very, very fortunate to have that. So we're looking for quite a large house. This is the forever house in Australia, right? So you play that game again, and there's a particular taxation reasons to maximize that in Australia as well. First
1: of all, I just had my first son. So congrats on your three girls. I'm sure sure they're a big blessing. But going back to this investment idea and your investment career. So you start in Australia, you move to the States, you try commercial, then you're looking at the house hack. Then you go back to Australia. What are you doing now that you're back in Australia? Are you still running the same idea or are you diversifying a little bit when it comes to your investing career?
2: So kind of uh, is my answer. And so much it gets this notion of the seasons of life. I mean, there's a season for everything, right? When I was really young, the season was just get on the ladder. You know, and then when I'm like earning money, I have no expenses, the season is acquire, acquire, acquire. And then when I'm married, the season is what is the most important thing for your family in terms of lifestyle needs and prudence? And I think we're very much still in that phase. Right? So for me, my attitude is number one, solve for what we need. You know, a house with a specification we need in location, it's really close to my sister and my parents who live in the suburb close by. So that's what we were maximizing for. The second thing is, I like to be fully leveraged, right? So that's why the financing element is so important. I'm always speaking to our mortgage brokers and saying, okay, what is the most that we can borrow? Again, you got to be careful about that. You've got to play the, what happens if interest rates go through the roof? What happens if house prices drop by 20 or 30%? But unlike shares, unlike stocks where there is a margin call, there's no such thing for property. So as long as you can sustain right, the interest payments, the mortgage payments, things like that, you can survive recessions. And generally, if you can stay in a house for 10 years, you're almost certainly going to come out on top. Right? Again, depending on if you're buying a quality property in a relatively good location. So for us right now, we use the opportunity in buying our house we live in now about a year ago, our kind of like forever home in Australia. We use that chance to maximize our leverage. And that was actually before all the interest rates gone up, right? So actually we are fully leveraged now. We don't have the opportunity to invest more and that's fine. We're leveraged across, still invested here in Australia and America. And that's probably how it'll be for the next few years, unless something changes. And one of those two things could be actually I receive a large salary increase that changes the game, right? And who knows, maybe that happens or not. Or, you know, something changes in our life in terms of location or someone gets sick or things like that, then we might have to liquidate and do things. But again, that's what these houses are for. They're a means to an end, you know, to support the lifestyle of the families that we want to have. So very much now the game is very simple. We've got our mortgages, we've got our play, heads down, keep spending wisely and keep that capital gains going. And then when the change next change happens, then we reevaluate. Did
1: you ever consider selling any of the California single family homes that you purchased when you were moving back or?
2: Yeah. yeah. And actually, that's what we did to a small extent, right? Because the first thing we're trying to solve for here is what is the house that's going to service our needs? And we realized that even with my income in Australia and the capital, the increased borrowings we could have through other means, we were still short a bit of what we wanted to kind of really get it right for us. And so I hate selling. I only sell when I have to. But in this case, it made sense. And the fact that actually, even though the capital gains we made there, we could put into here and the capital gains we'd make off that base would be tax-free, at least, you know, soften the blow, but you pay a lot in transaction fees. So it's something you do ultimately for lifestyle rather than investment. Right, right, right.
1: So I mean, well, you just mentioned that you're kind of sticking your head down and trusting the process at this point. Where do you see yourself and in your investing career going, you know, in the next five, 10 years?
2: Yeah, I think it really depends, Trent. And I think so much of what I'm grateful for in terms of me, and my wife's parents and grandparents encourage us to invest in, not just property, but I would say passive income, is that it buys options. So I'd say there's a few worlds. Like, you know, I love it here in Australia. I'm working for an amazing company. You know, there's tons of great opportunities here in Australia. And particularly for someone like myself, who worked in Silicon Valley for 10 years. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting plays. And so there's a world where my career takes off, Right. And I become a CEO somewhere, or you know, keep building a great business here at Domain. And as a result of success, then my earning capacity greatly increases. And if you get in that world where you're, you know, have a real step change in income, like I did after my MBA and going from a college student to being an analyst, then you bring different choices about like, okay, I have the surplus income. Likely I'll invest more in property because that's my game and I love it. And you got to do what you're comfortable and you're interested in. And that's probably where it'll go. That's the kind of like the bull case, right? But there's another case, right, where you go, like, oh. Actually, because of some family circumstance, maybe some of the family, our parents, our children are sick or need a lot of help. Or maybe you just say, look, the corporate game isn't for me anymore. I want to do something different, right? Property and passive income buys choices. And there's a world where we go like, hey, like, I'm going to leave the high-flying corporate life and work part-time. or will be a full-time dad. And the great thing is that's possible. Now, you'd have to make sacrifices, but those sacrifices, you would sell off a bunch of properties, right? Or you'd change your leverage in the position. But that's another world. It could go two totally different directions, or it could stay in this direction I'm on, doing this kind of cool kind of stuff, you know, doing this and sit out for a few more years. I don't know.
1: Have you ever looked into? I mean, I know you talked about you dabbled in some commercial real estate investments. Did you ever look into multifamily real estate or land or anything like that?
2: Yeah, I actually did a some multifamily real estate uh, here in Australia. You know, I think, and a lot of my good friends do that too. I, I think there's a great social mission to multifamily investing, which I love, right? Because it's the backbone of so much of I would say that the middle class, you know, American people who, for whatever reason, cannot get a mortgage. So I think it plays a really important role. And being a good landlord, I think, is a real service to society. Also, I do think it has really interesting capital gains potential, particularly if there's no rental caps or freezers or things like that. You can do some cool stuff, you know, with it and renovate and refinance and all that kind of thing. I think one of the learnings about what the way me and my wife like to invest is we like to be as passive as possible. We like to transact as little as possible. We're terrified of doing renovations. We don't like doing it. We have no passion for it. Even simple stuff like is not really our thing. And again, some people love that stuff and house hacking and things like that. I think to make multifamily really work, you've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to really be willing to think out, hey, you can use that asset and that land a different way and work out how to do approvals and work with cities. And there is so much value to unlock if you work in that in a close way. But at least at this stage, that's not something we're passionate about. We find it more a distraction and a burden than something we really get excited about. So kind of steer clear of that for now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, John, I love the way that you approach your investment strategy because you stick with what you know. You've tried other things. <laughs> it's not your cup of tea and you just keep rolling with what's worked and what's been successful for you in the past, knowing your investment career and having talked about it from the first house at 18 years old to now coming back to Australia with your current house, what can people do that, like you said, maybe they don't want to get into the development or the multifamily or the commercial space. What's like your biggest piece of advice for someone that wants to run their career like you have and stick with the single families and just build off that?
2: Oh, I have so many pieces of advice. I'm going to give you three. You know, it's such a great question. Look, I think the first thing is to have a growth mindset. I have a strategy that works and it's good to know what you are and what you like and what you don't like. But the reality is like what got you here may not get you there right? Like what strategy might might not work after all, say taxation changes or location changes or, or your family life changes. So you've got to be flexible. So for me, I love stuff like the podcast you're running. I love listening to people, particularly people who do things differently than me who may have different opinions, because that's how I learn. We learn through challenge, through questioning our assumptions, particularly we are always changing as human beings. That's the beauty of being alive. And so number one, keep learning. I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of stock financing podcasts, venture capital podcasts, obviously property and real estate podcasts as well. And I talk out my wife. We both kind of geek out on this. Obviously, we talk about the kids the most, but this is probably a close second, right? And we just keep learning and being influenced by amazing people. So that to me is the first most important thing to do. As Warren Buffett say, invest in yourself. That is the greatest investment of all. That's part one. You know, probably the biggest thing that actually helped me at different stages of my life is to write a individual or as it became a family, profit and loss statement and balance sheet, right? And many of your, obviously, many of your listeners are very strong at accounting. Some of you are very new to it. But effectively, it's like thinking yourself as a company, what assets you got and, and what debts do you have? What income's coming in? What expenses going out? And that'll give you a sense of just some very basic numbers, which is what is my net worth right now? Number one, how much is that likely to grow or shrink over time? Like if you're a single or double income, no kids, hopefully growing. If you're like us, you know, we're like, we have three young kids who are very needy and expensive. Like you may not be uh, doing so on the cash point of view. That's fine. Just at least have a mirror to yourself and go, okay, here's the state of play, right? We're growing. If we do nothing, here's what's happening. And that's actually the really important thing is not just take a static view of here's what we're earning or losing and here's what we're worth, but you start to model that out using some basic assumptions. And so for me, a very basic assumption is the capital gains on a property, on a single family home. Is between five and seven percent a year, and for a unit, it's a bit less. It's three to five percent per year, and on shares, it's about six or seven percent per year. Again, these are like hundred-year-old assumptions. It depends on the quality of what you buy, so you can't just average it out. But you know, I found it very helpful, and that to me was a big aha moment of why we ultimately reverted back into this game of single-family residents, you know, borrowing and renting, is because we realized you put twenty percent down on a deposit, or twenty-five or thirty percent, you still get seven percent capital gains on the hundred percent which means you're getting 20 25% cash on cash, you know, return over time, right? If your interest payments are kind of balanced out by the rent, which depends what you buy. Again, that was our game, but you need to figure out what is for yourself. And I think just that basic act of doing a spreadsheet, which I've done at various points in my life, particularly after having kids, was very, very clarifying. I want to say some other things, but maybe just leave on those two. Being a lifelong learner and just getting a clear picture of financial statements, it will speak volumes to you and it will direct, it'll, it'll kind of tell your heart, you know, where you should be looking next.
1: You know, John, that's one of the best things I've heard in a long time is doing the personal financial statement for your family or for yourself and actually projecting growth on those numbers. My wife and I have sat down, we've done the personal financial statement the balance sheet, all that fun stuff to see where we're at, you know, at the time. And I, you know, just leave it at that. And then I'll have to go back through and, and do it again. in the next year, But having projections is something I've never done. And I think that could be very beneficial because you actually can see some of the potential benefits to the process that you're trusting, right? That's right. And that's something I've never heard before.
2: And let me go a step further. I think the great thing about the spreadsheet, it's not even numbers themselves, right? It's the come to Jesus moment that it gives you. Because generally, it'll give you somewhere between the spectrum of like, oh, actually, we've got a really great strategy. If we stick with it and we just do our thing, our wealth will double in the next seven years, right? That is one outcome. Or the other outcome is like, oh, dear, this is not good. Like if we have a catastrophic event, right? Or even if we just keep going the way we're going, it's not sustainable. We need to change. It's got to be someone that spectrum and it's all positive, right? The worst thing is, the best time to act is yesterday. Is 10 years ago. This kind of brings the future forward to you without you having to go through the trouble.
1: Yeah, no, that's really good. I'm going to go do that with my wife this weekend now. (laughs) (laughs) Good trip. (laughs) Well, John, is there anything that we didn't talk about today? I appreciate you sharing your story and your investing career. Is there anything that I missed during our conversation?
2: Ah, oh, look, I think it's been a, a brief and hopefully helpful overview of just my life in terms of you know my investing life. I would just say like to you and your listeners, just a big thank you. I think property is life-changing. You know, if you're buying a house, you're renting out, you're changing someone's life. If you're selling a house, you're changing your life, you know, and changing someone else is going to buy it. And so particularly it's my day job now, I guess. I'm pretty bullish about it. I love it when people are able to fulfill their life goals you know, with property. So thanks to you and your listeners for really building that and building confidence. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, please look up on LinkedIn, J-O-H-N-F-O-O-N-G from Australia. There's not too many of me around in Australia. I'd love to get connected and talk more. We're all trying to in the same game together.
1: John, again, I appreciate your time joining us today. And thanks again for sharing your story.
2: Thanks, Chad. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate
0: Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.